Hello, and welcome to Stonebridge Community Church's online service. We are glad that you are tuning in with us uh, through the YouTube channel or through the podcast. It is good that we can connect through technology. This Sunday, we begin our Advent sermon series called The Unexpected. And Advent is a time where we prepare ourselves for the coming of Jesus, where we get ready for the celebration of Christmas. So may God prepare your hearts. I do want to extend an invitation. If you are in town and if you are ready, come and join us for our in-person services. We have COVID precautions in place at all of our services, and we do have an outdoor service as well for those who are not comfortable coming indoors. Our services are on 5.30 Saturday night, which is an indoor service, 9 o'clock Sunday morning, which is another indoor service, and 10.30, which is our outdoor service on Sunday mornings. For the indoor services, we are requiring masks regardless of vaccination status. If you are ready and if you are in town, come and join us and know that you are welcome here and your safety is our priority. But may God bless your time of worship through this online service. May the Holy Spirit be present with you as you engage in worship. The way this works is after this, we'll have some announcements. Then you'll hear the word of God preached. And then we'll have two songs to help guide you through your worship this week. But may God bless you and let us worship God together. Amen. For those of you I haven't met or those who are new, I'm Pastor John, one of the pastors here at Stonebridge. And as Lee mentioned, this is the first week of what's called Advent. And Advent is a time where we prepare ourselves for the coming of Jesus. We prepare ourselves to celebrate Christmas when Jesus was born into the world, but also prepare ourselves for that day when Jesus returns, which is the basis of our hope, when Jesus returns and there is resurrection and restoration throughout the world. During Advent, we get ourselves ready for that. And this year, our theme in Advent is the unexpected. The hope with this, though, is that we'll be looking at some things that are unexpected in the way the New Testament introduces us to Jesus, but that by the end of these next few weeks, we will begin to expect these things from God, that the unexpected becomes the expected. It just felt like what better way to prepare ourselves for Jesus than to look at how the New Testament begins and how it prepares us for Jesus also. So during this series, we're going to be looking at the first half of the first chapter of Matthew, the gospel. So this morning, I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. And I invite you to hear the word of God as we turn to the scriptures. An account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Aram, and Aram the father of Amminadabad, and Amminadabad the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you broke into this world on that day on Christmas, thousands and thousands of years ago. We thank you that you became one of us. And we thank you 
that through your word, through your scriptures, and through the power of your Holy Spirit, we have this hope that you will return again, this hope that we live in. Prepare us for your return. Prepare us for your coming, when you will sit upon the throne and you will restore this world to what you intended it to be. Prepare us for that now as we get ready to celebrate the birth of our Lord. Speak to us through these scriptures, Lord. Your servants are here listening. So speak to us. We ask this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So as I said, what better way to prepare ourselves for the coming of Jesus than to look at how the New Testament prepares us for the coming of Jesus. But as you probably noticed, the New Testament prepares us for Jesus' coming in a rather unexpected way. It's just a list of names. The first half of Matthew, the very beginning of the New Testament, the very beginning of the documents that tell us about the hope in the world in Jesus begins with a rather boring, on its surface, list of names. I've always wondered, what was the conversation like when the people who put the canon together were sitting around saying, we really need a good hook. We got to get everybody in on this. And then somebody said, you know what? Let's start with the one with all the names at the beginning. And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, that'll get them. That'll get them. What was that conversation? From our perspective, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. It isn't the most aggressive hook to pull you into the story. But Matthew, the writer of this gospel, was working in a much broader tradition. And throughout the Bible in the Old Testament, there are regular lists of random names. They're called genealogies, as it says there. This is the genealogy. They list lineage. And these genealogies, they, they have a pattern to them. Oftentimes, they're connecting one big character in Scripture to another big character in Scripture, showing us the continuity there and covering a lot of ground in that. They have a purpose, but they have a pattern also. If you go back, a lot of them are in Genesis. In fact, the entire book of Genesis is structured around genealogies. And that's not an accident that Matthew uses one here or that the New Testament canon used it there. They're trying to say this is a new creation happening here with Jesus. But when you look at the genealogies, they have a pattern. And Matthew's stands out because in some very key ways, it breaks the patterns. And at first, it may seem unexpected to us, but when you look really closely at what Matthew has done here with this genealogy, you realize that Matthew is using this genealogy to tell us truths about God. Matthew's genealogy, it tells us something about God, and that's its main purpose. Matthew has broken the pattern of genealogies. In a number of ways, he's actually done that. One of the first ways I'll mention, and we'll be looking at this later in this sermon series, but one of the first ways is, if you go back and look at the historical books in the Bible, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, where the lists of the kings of Israel and Judah are given and their stories are supplied, and you compare what's there in those books in the Bible to Matthew's genealogy, you realize Matthew has changed the order. He leaves people out. He leaves out entire generations, actually, from those lists of kings. Matthew has sliced and diced the history of this to tell us something about God. 
The other thing you realize is Matthew has changed the names of some of the kings also. He's replaced them with other characters because he's trying to tell us something about God. But here in the first six verses that I just read, there is one very striking change that Matthew has made. And this is a change that would have likely floored the people who would first have read this. It would have been shocking. So we have to try to place ourselves in their shoes today and try to receive this genealogy in these first six verses in the way they would have. What Matthew has done in the first six verses here, and it's not going to sound as wild to us as it would in his day, but Matthew has included four women in his genealogy. Matthew includes four women. You may have noticed that I read their names. That is not normal for genealogies in the Bible. That was not normal for genealogies in Matthew's day. That's a statement that's being made there when Matthew includes them. And those names of women, on their own, whatever the names were, it would be rather shocking. It would raise people's interest right away. It might raise some anxieties and some concerns about what exactly is this here. Keep in mind, this is the lineage of Jesus, the Savior of the world. And as Matthew is explaining how God has become human in the world, he goes out of his way to mention four women. What's even more striking about this, though, is it's not that Matthew just mentions four women. Matthew mentions four of the quote-unquote wrong women. When you look at their stories, these are shocking stories. Now, if Matthew wanted to just include women and just leave it there, there were actually four women that would have been standard in his time. Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. They were the four prominent wives of the patriarchs, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And yes, Jacob had two, two wives, Rachel and Leah. Those four women would have been the prominent four women. If Matthew just wanted to throw women in there just for that, for that sake alone, he could have done that. But he didn't. Instead, he chose four other women. These four women, their stories are in the Bible. We can go back and we can read their stories. And it's important, I think, that we reflect a little bit quickly on their stories here this morning because you start to see a pattern, and this pattern should shock each and every one of us. And I'm sure it shocked people in Matthew's day when they were first reading this gospel. And it should shock us to re reflect on the fact that these four stories were the ones that the Holy Spirit inspired Matthew to include in this genealogy to help us understand how God brought Jesus into the world. So who are the four women that Matthew includes here? The first of them is named Tamar. Tamar's story comes from Genesis, the middle of Genesis. And what we know about Tamar is that this is a scandalous story. Some of you may be familiar with Tamar's story. For those of you who aren't, I will try to give the PG version of it. The Word of God's got some raciness in it here and there. But Tamar, she's married to one of Judah's sons originally. And he dies, and Judah, he will not take care of Tamar. So what does Tamar do? She tricks Judah into having a child with her. She fakes her identity 
so that Judah will have a child with her, so he has to take care of her. This isn't like a Hallmark Christmas movie type of story here. Okay? There's scandal to the story. This is not respectable company that we're talking about when we listen to Tamar. And right away there, it says Judah had these two sons. One of them was, a descendant, was an ancestor of Jesus by Tamar. He's tying Jesus directly to this story. The other piece of this, too, is Tamar is probably not Jewish. Remember, we're talking about the Messiah. The Messiah was a Jewish concept. It was a Jewish hope, a Jewish expectation. Tamar was probably not Jewish. Right away, you can see Matthew's doing something a little tricky here. So that's the first woman that Matthew includes. Who's the second woman that Matthew includes? Rahab. Rahab is, again, a scandalous story. At least her life had what people would consider scandal in it. Rahab lived in the city of Jericho. Her story comes from Joshua. When the Israelites are moving into the promised land, Rahab is in the city of Jericho, one of the cities that they want to take over, that they're going to have to go through. And Rahab allows spies from the Israelites to come in, and she gives them safe harbor. She protects them. But the other thing about Rahab is she's a practitioner, we're told, of what is termed the oldest profession. This is not respectable company, again. And Rahab is definitely not Jewish because she's from Jericho. She's an outsider. Do you see what Matthew's doing here? You start to see the pattern. The next woman that Matthew includes is Ruth. And Ruth, again, is definitely not Jewish. She's a Moabitess. And if you read Ruth, her story is from the book of Ruth in the Bible, there's some passages where maybe it is scandalous. Depends on how you translate a few Hebrew terms there. Ruth may have done some things that we wouldn't consider respectable. But the point of Ruth's story is that she is very much not Jewish. That's the whole point of that book, is that an outsider who is not Jewish becomes part of the community. And Matthew goes out of his way to make sure that we understand that it was through that that Jesus came into the world. The final woman that Matthew includes in this genealogy is what he terms the wife of Uriah. I like this one because it almost feels a little passive-aggressive because Matthew will not say her name for some reason. He won't just say her name. The wife of Uriah, he's referring to, is Bathsheba. You may remember that story. Bathsheba was on a rooftop bathing. King David saw her, lusted after her, ended up having an, what we would consider an affair with her, and then sent her husband out to be murdered. Again, this is not a Hallmark movie story. These aren't the stories that we teach all the kids in Sunday school, but these are the stories that Matthew is tying directly to Jesus coming into the world. The thing with, with Bathsheba to remember, she's not Jewish. Uriah was a Hittite, so she's very likely a Hittite also. This is another scandalous story. And the way Matthew talks about her refusing to even say her name, and there's some other traditions as well, 
Bathsheba may not have been that well-liked in the Jewish community. There's some reason to believe that some people didn't look back on her fondly and think she was a, a good character. Though she was a victim in what David did to her and to her husband. Later on, she does some things in the Bible that are, are not the best, perhaps. But these are the stories that Matthew wants us to think about as we prepare for the birth of Jesus. It should make all of us, I think, a little uncomfortable that these are the stories chosen. We all want to focus on the really nice stories, the good stories, the, the rainbow after the flood and all that. But Matthew's pulling us into the scandalous stories. He's pulling us into the people who weren't part of the Jewish community who were brought in. And he's highlighting these four stories at the very beginning of his preparation for Jesus coming into the world. What is Matthew doing here? What was the Holy Spirit doing through Matthew here? Matthew includes shocking people to introduce us to Jesus. Matthew, I believe, is setting the tone for us so that we can know what to expect from God and from Jesus. And at the very beginning of the story of the New Testament, Matthew is ingraining in us a truth about God's mercy. New Testament scholar Dale Bruner, reflecting on this genealogy, he says that here at the very beginning of the genealogy, Matthew is showing us how deep and how wide God's mercy is. He says how deep God's mercy is because these are stories, these, the stories of these four women. These are stories of people that society would consider sinners. These are stories of people that should have felt shame at their stories. But yet God uses those stories to bring Jesus into the world. God's mercy reaches down into the depths of human sin and pulls a Savior out of them. Matthew is showing us also God's wide mercy because these four women were not part of the Jewish community. God's mercy, it expands outward beyond just the people who consider themselves inside inside the church, inside the people of God, inside their own communities. It expands outward, pushes outward into people that you would never expect. God's mercy is deep and it is wide. And it brings forward the Savior of the world. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you claim Jesus as Lord, and if you want to prepare for Jesus' return, you should begin to expect that God's mercy is going to take you to surprising places and help you interact with surprising people. And if for one second you think that God's mercy doesn't extend to you, Matthew makes clear that whatever it is that is in your past, whatever shame, whatever scandal, whatever there is in your past, God's mercy reaches down to where you are and God wants to use you as well to point people to the hope of the world that is Jesus. And God doesn't just stop there. God wants to then take you, your life, and expand that mercy through your life to others you come into contact with. 
That's how God prepares us for the coming of Jesus. Anybody that you think might be beyond God's mercy in your life, that's very likely the person God is calling you to show the mercy to. Matthew begins the preparation for Jesus with these four stories of these women so that God's mercy would be clear and we would see it clearly in our lives and in the way God brought Jesus into the world. May we embrace that mercy, may we extend that mercy, and may we share that mercy and rejoice in that mercy. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you that your mercy, it is wide and it is deep. We thank you that through your scriptures we learn just how central your mercy was to the plan of salvation. Lord, help us to accept your mercy. Help us to reveal your mercy. Help us to share and spread your mercy. Lord, help us to embrace your mercy. Prepare us for your coming. And as we move to take our offering now, we ask that you would bless this offering so that we would be a merciful community, a merciful church. Lord, help us to recognize that you work in the most surprising of people in the most surprising of situations. And that events that we might think are beyond your mercy, you are there at work.
Pulled from 